Greetings, salutations, and welcome to The China Guy, where we discuss the subtleties of Chinese history and its importance to our own lives today. In our last episode, we detailed the geography and culture of Dongbei, or Northeast China, particularly the city Shenyang, where The China Guy currently resides. In this episode, our sixth episode, we are digging into an historical mystery set in Shenyang itself. Scheming soldiers, nefarious plots, a web of lies, and a general caught in the bath. What's not to love? Let's get started. September 1931. The city of Shenyang in northeast China is the scene of a showdown between the army of Japan and the government of China, which was at the time ruled by the Guomindang, or the Nationalist Party. The events that transpired on the night of September 18, 1931, would later become known as the Mukden Incident and signaled the start of violent relations between Japan and China, six years before that violence would erupt into the Second World War. But what happened in the Mukden incident, you ask? Great question. Historians have been asking themselves that for decades. So here's the story. Let's start with the official line from the Japanese army at the time. On the night of September 18, 1931, a stretch of the Japanese-owned Manchuria Railway near Shenyang was sabotaged with a large stretch of track being destroyed with explosives. The local Japanese army, known as the Kwantung Army, stationed in Shenyang to protect the railroad and Japanese interests, claimed the attack was perpetrated by the Chinese. Acting in self-defense, the Kwantung Army immediately began occupation of the towns along the South Manchuria Railway, including Shenyang itself. Soon, this occupation was extended to the rest of Dongbei, or historical Manchuria, and Japanese control of Northeast China was secured, setting the stage for larger conflict between Japan and China in World War II. In 1932, in response to the confusion surrounding the Mukden incident, the United Nations sent an envoy known as the Lytton Commission to Shenyang to investigate. Yet with no concrete conclusions on the, quote, so-called incident, the commission could only restate the Japanese report with no comment on its validity. The commission also highlighted some interesting details of the incident, which Collins questioned the Japanese story. Most importantly, the Japanese claimed that the Mukden Express passed without accident over the 31-inch gap in the track caused by the attack, which the commission proved to be patently impossible. In fact, it was recorded that the Mukden Express was standing in the Shenyang station at exactly 10.30 p.m., which is when the Japanese claimed the, rail claimed the railway to have been bombed. Obviously, there are some issues with the Japanese story. Was Japan really wrongfully attacked by Chinese dissidents, which led them to annex a large region of China protect, to protect their economic interests? In a word, no. The Japanese story held up for the next 15 years, until the end of World War II in 1945. Similar to the famous Nuremberg trials that brought many Nazis to justice for their war crimes, there was a similar series of legal proceedings after the Pacific Theater of War, called the Tokyo Trials, held from May 3, 1946, to November 12, 1948. It is a tragedy of modern history that these trials have not received the same public attention as the Nuremberg Trials. Millions lost their lives in the Pacific Theater of World War II, which ravaged China, the Philippines, and Southeast Asia, as well as Hawaii. The Tokyo Trials and the Pacific Theater of World War II in general deserve a place alongside the Nuremberg Trials and the defeat of Nazi Germany. Yet this podcast is titled The China Guy, 
not the Japan guy or the historical revisionist rant guy. So back to China we go. At the Tokyo trials, the truth of the Mukden incident was finally uncovered. The whole incident was faked. All of it. A total fabrication by a select group of officers in the Japanese army. Here's how it all goes down. In 1931, a Japanese army called the Kwantung Army was based in Shenyang to secure Japanese economic interests. A colonel named Shishiro Itagaki was stationed in Shenyang within the Kwantung Army. Itagaki was not just another officer in the army, however. He was part of a radical nationalist fringe in the Japanese army, and his goal was to introduce peace and prosperity to Dongbei by bringing Kodo, or the Imperial Way, to China. Itagaki's beliefs were not isolated either. The Kwanzung army was a known hotbed of this extreme Japanese nationalism, and other officers and army groups in the Japanese military also advocated these beliefs. The Japanese military was not a monolithic uniform organization. At all levels of leadership, it was filled with scheming, ultranationalism, and insubordination. Itagaki and the Kwantung army simply represented a phenomenon that touched all aspects of the Japanese military machine. This group of rebels in the Kwantung army had a plan to incite violence in Dongbei, and in September 1931, they began to put their plan in motion. Colonel Itagaki, the central conspirator himself, was scheduled to attend a political conference between the Japanese, the Chinese nationalist government, and local warlords in Shenyang. Yet Itagaki failed to appear at this meeting, leading the Japanese consul, Morito Morishima, to worry that something irregular was going on with the colonel. At the same time as the conference, the government in Tokyo received a cable from Shenyang reporting that a Kwantung company commander stationed in Fushun, about 30 miles away from Shenyang, claimed that he knew a political incident between the Japanese and Chinese was going to happen sometime that week. In a flurry of activity, the Japanese Minister of War ordered a functionary to go to Shenyang immediately to investigate and stop this incident from occurring at all costs. Unfortunately, the man he sent, Major General Yashitsugi Tatekawa, was not exactly qualified for the job. While his actual involvement is unclear, Tatekawa was later implicated in the Kwantung Army plot, with his detractors claiming he was involved in the plot and had advanced knowledge of Itagaki's plans. So our inside man, Tatekawa, rushes off to Shenyang, going undercover as a plainclothes Japanese citizen. Apparently, the dear Major General's disguise was imperfect because a Japanese man immediately recognized him on a train into Shenyang, and it was reported to Consul Morishima that Tatekawa was on his way to the city. Adding to the complexity of this labyrinthine plot, the Kwantung conspirators, ignorant of Tatekawa's involvement in their plans, decided to distract the general with a night of drinking, gambling, and geishas. So on the night of September 18th, 1931, Tatekawa is partying with officers from the Kwantung army. In the midst of their revelry, two artillery shots are shot off near the city of Shenyang, and the crashing sound shakes up their impromptu party. At the same time elsewhere in the city, Consul Morashima receives a call at 10.30pm, informing him that an explosion destroyed a section of track on the South Manchuria Railway outside of Shenyang. The Mukden incident went off with a bang. It appears Morishima had his own suspicions about the perpetrators of the incident. 
as he immediately went to Itagaki's headquarters that night to discuss the night's events. Their meeting was unproductive, and one of Itagaki's co-conspirators, Major Hanaya, unsheathed his sword and claimed that if Consul Morashima insisted on interfering with the structure of military command, he must be ready to pay the consequences. Morishima beat a hasty retreat. Morishima's boss, Consul General Hayashi, now stepped into this miasma of politics and tried to talk some sense into Itagaki and the Kwantung army, who simply ignored the man. Over the next few days, the Japanese consul in Xinjiang received multiple representatives from the Chinese government, including the supreme advisor to Marshal Chang Sui-liang, the top man in the Chinese administration of Shenyang. The Chinese repeatedly told the Japanese consulate that the Chinese were making no resistance to the Japanese or their investigation into the incident, and practically begged the Japanese to stop the violent occupation of the railroad towns and try to resolve the issue diplomatically. This moment reiterates the disconnect between the civilian government of Japan and its military. Throughout the Mukden incident, the Japanese military appears to act entirely independently of the civilian administration, even threatening civil servants with violence. All the way until the end of World War II, the Japanese military had a mind of its own and often bent the civilian government to its own aims or simply ignored it. In the case of the Mukden incident, the Japanese army claimed to be cutting the Chinese melon, which is a lovely metaphor that both describes the way they sought to simultaneously divide and exploit China. All of the Chinese appeals for peace were communicated to the Kwantung army, and all of them were soundly ignored. Itagaki, in one of his few statements about the incident, stated that he felt the matter concerned the prestige of the state and the army, and the army would see the issue through accordingly. Quickly, news reached the Kwantung army commander, Lieutenant General Shigeru Honjo, in Port Arthur, an important military base on the coast south of Shenyang. Honjo was, hilariously, in the bath when news of the attack was brought to him. Fascinatingly, Honjo had no prior involvement or knowledge of the plot, but when asked if Japan should retaliate in response to the incident, Honjo stated that, and I quote, Yes, let it be done on my own responsibility. It appears that while he had no involvement in the plot, Honjo took responsibility for the actions of his subordinates, essentially cleaning up the mess they made. In the days and weeks following the incident, while the Japanese army invaded and occupied more and more of Dongbei, Consul General Hayashi began to put together the pieces. He said, quote, Putting this and that together, it is considered that the recent incident was wholly an action planned by the army. And wholly planned it was indeed. The two artillery shots that fired near Shenyang during the Mukden incident were brought into Shenyang weeks before and set up by the Kwantung army. Itagaki instructed his soldiers to tell curious onlookers that they were digging a well. On the evening of September 18th, each artillery piece fired one shot each. One fired directly onto the track of the South Manchuria Railway, while the other fired into Shenyang itself, aiming at a local Chinese army barracks. While any casualty lists are uncertain, the Chinese soldiers stationed in Shenyang abandoned the city in the wake of that attack, leaving the city open to the control of the Japanese army. The Japanese army long had its eye on invading northeast China, so it was perhaps only a matter of time until their occupation took place. 
Yet without a doubt, the Mukden incident accelerated the pace of that invasion, leading to full Japanese control in Dongbei six years before war between Japan and China would begin in, er- would begin in earnest. Yet the Mukden incident also highlights the complicated and often strange political game the Japanese military leaders played. So often as human beings, we view other cultures as uniform and monolithic. This is perhaps even more common when we consider Japan, a nation that often appears monochromatic and prone to conformity to outsiders. Yet, like all humans throughout history, there was nuance in the Japanese military machine. Jealousies and rivalries were often the order of the day, instead of a Confucian ideal of piety and respect. In this way, we can see this aspect of Japanese history in its true light, not covered in a blanket of stereotypes and misinformation, but filled with human stories. Thank you again for listening to The China Guy. Goodbye, and zaijian.